Amen. And just bring uh, this time before the Lord. Ask the Lord's help as we come round his word. Amen. Let's pray together. Just open our hearts. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks for your wonderful grace. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us today as we come to your word, both to preach and to hear what you, the Spirit of God, would say unto us. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, we pray that every distraction and every thought, Lord, that would hinder or thwart the moving of the Spirit of God. We ask in Jesus' name for much grace, Lord, to bring everything into subjection to the authority of your word. Lord, we pray that you would move among us this day, O God, by the power of your Spirit and anoint us both to preach and to hear. Lord, above everything we pray that you would glorify your name. We pray for the preaching of your word throughout this land today, that your spirit would blow upon your word. And Lord, that you would bring forth much fruit to the glory of the Father. God, shut us in with yourself. Meet with us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you would turn to Joel chapter 2, uh, we're continuing on in the book of Joel. We've been here uh, for some time. And this morning, uh, this is uh, part of that series. And then this is split into two. And I'll be speaking on I Will Restore. And this is part A. Next week will be part B. But just to also say that tonight, um, the Lord has just given me a message. Just for a few months, I've been praying about this year, uh, if the Lord would spur us and if he would tarry, just coming into a new year. And a few months ago, I can remember talking to Nikki just about the year and looking to it and uh, saying to her, you know, it's just an amazing thing. I, you know, it's 2020 and we're both looking at each other. It's 2020. And then we talked about, uh, Brian had mentioned it um, a few weeks ago, 2020 vision. And then I've heard that a few times from different ones saying and, you know, I just believe, you know, when all the hopes or aspirations, ambitions, plans, thoughts, everything, and prayers and requests that we look into uh, for the year ahead, I believe there's one thing uh, that we need, and that's sort of split into two. Number one, we need to walk with Jesus. Number two, we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And tonight, you know, Brian brought that word a few weeks ago, the wind of change, but uh, and it was a real encouraging time, and, and, and the Lord has been quickening that thought. And tonight we will just look at this, when the wind blows, and that's what we need. You know, whatever's going to happen, sunshine or rain, difficulties, trials, tribulations, whatever's going to happen in these nations, and we see again, there's much turmoil, and it won't take very much will not take very much for this world to be spilled into absolute chaos. But the people of God need to walk with Jesus and be full of the Holy Ghost. That's the answer. So tonight, would you come, 6 o'clock, we'll pray, and we'll be ready, come prepared, as we come to seek the Lord for the year ahead. Joel chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 23 through to 27. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first months. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. 
And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. This, this verse, verse 25, if you just look at it, the Lord says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. In the last days, and we'll look more at this next week, there is going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God. It is the latter rain, the early rain being Pentecost, the latter rain in this years in which we live in the last days. We are, we are on the verge of an outpouring of the Spirit of God. That's going to bring forth a ministry. It's a very unique ministry that God will bring forth. It will not center upon any one person or personality. Most of the modern a ministry is centered upon a person, a man, or a ministry, and it's their ministry. But this latter ministry that will come forth will be a very unique thing, not that it will elevate people. It will actually be marked with one of the great attributes of the Lord, humility. But it also will demonstrate, it will demonstrate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with signs and wonders following it will be unique in that it will probably and largely be rejected by most in the mainstream church. Just like the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was rejected by his own and rejected by the religious form of the day. If you are willing and you are wanting to be involved in what God is about to do, it probably will be important for you to know that in no way will you or I or any man be elevated in the final outpouring of the Spirit of God. In the modern ministry, men are looking to be put on billboards and their names to be elevated above all other names and their kingdoms are being established. But in this ministry, the only name that will be lifted up will be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think it will be a popular ministry, it won't be. If you want to be popular, it is quite likely that you will not be invited to most pulpits across the Western world. I do believe that there will be a mighty outpouring and in nations of the world that have hardly heard the name of Jesus or have not very little in material blessings, there will be a great sweeping of the power of God across those nations, as in that final harvest there will be an ingathering. And so I encourage you, even throughout this week, in your hopes, your plans, and your ambitions to be used of God, as we come to this next week, this ministry is going to be unique, and we are on the verge of the power of God being poured out in such a fashion. What has all this been for in the last number of years that we have witnessed? It is that God has been preparing a people for an end time outpouring of His Spirit. All your trials, troubles, testings, pressures, difficulties coming to the verge, maybe even at times of feeling that you cannot go on, has all been because God has been trying and purifying and forcing a vessel that God will use in these final days and his name will be glorified 
and there will be a gospel preached with signs and wonders following. That is next week. (laughs) So you have to come back. But this morning, I want to speak, you know, I, uh, I was very close to preaching next week's message this morning, if you understand what I mean. But, you know, I woke in the night and uh, the Lord just began to speak. So I know this morning God just wants to minister to lives in this room about this wonderful truth that God says, I will restore. This outpouring of the Spirit that we've been looking at over these days by the power of the Spirit of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord being poured out in the final uh, moments of time. In God, and it's unique to Him, there is an ability by the power of His Spirit to bring around a restoration of everything that has been lost, everything that has been devastated or devoured by the demonic activity The locusts that we'd been looking at just a few weeks ago, the plague of locusts will not turn this morning, but for reference in Revelation chapter 9, there is, just a recap, but there is an opening in time of a bottomless pit, and out of that pit comes forth a plague of locusts. We're looking at it here in Joel, but there's the New Testament uh, symbolism of that, and also the reality of it is there is a, an unleashing of demonic forces across the nations of the world. Brothers and sisters, that has happened and is happening. And this outpouring of wickedness, it would nearly seem as though that we have no strength or power to resist or to stop what is happening. It is being unleashed uh, across our nation, across our homes, across our families. There isn't probably a family or a home that's represented here that has not come into contact with this unleashing of spiritual wickedness. And in everything of what the church has attempted to do and every type of thing that it has tried to do in its own strength, it has failed. And yet we're looking and longing and believing for God to move by a spirit. And in the midst of all of that, when the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to fall and to move in God's ability, which is an awesome ability. There's no ability like God's ability. It's supernatural. God is saying that in my blessing and outpouring, there is a very unique thing that I will do. I will restore. And then it says the year, so there's time. And then it says what the locusts have done. The work of the locusts has been to devour. And that is the power of the enemy. He has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. The the thief, he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we see what he is doing. If you have eyes, you'll see. Have you seen what the enemy has been doing? It is devastating. And God said, I will restore. And it's important then as we look at things in our lives, our home, our town, our nation, we have witnessed, we see, and we know the devastating power, the satanic forces of hell 
And we see it in our loved ones, our relationships, our homes, marriages, people, towns, so forth. And we go on and on. We see the unleashing power of darkness on our land. It's not so much that it's over there, but it's, it's in every home. It's touched our lives. It's touched our homes. It's touched our families. It's touched our workplace. It's touched our community. It's touched our nation. We are seeing it. And God in the outpouring in the latter rain pours out his spirit and says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And when God says something, I want to make this important for us as an introduction, but when God speaks, when God's word declares and God has an intention or a will or a purpose behind what he said, it's important that God's people hear Hear what he's saying and have faith in God's word. Why? Because this is so important. Because there is a truth war. You hear me? There's a truth war in the church for truth. Now the truth is always the truth, isn't it? The truth never changes because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. So the truth never changes. But there's a truth war in amongst the people of God. There are seducing spirits. There's false teachers, false prophets, false Christ, and so forth. And there's every type of philosophy. And the worst of all of that is that when we bring God down to the human level, and one of the great enemies of truth is human wisdom. And it's very clever. And, and you know, it's very potent and it has had a great effect on the church. Now, why would I say that? Human reason, human wisdom, human philosophy. Because Paul warns us of such things. When God says something and utters his voice with intention, what God said he will do, he will do it. What's he looking from us? That we have faith and believe his precious word. But human wisdom or philosophy, in a very subtle way, when it comes in and dilutes the word of God, dilutes the truth of God, then what happens is that the church of Jesus Christ no longer are believing the truth, but they're believing a mixture of truth with human wisdom. Now, what, is, what does that do? It's so subtle, but it's so effective. Because actually the spirit behind that is the devil himself. Why? What happens? When then the church dilute the gospel, dilute the truth, dilute God's word, and human wisdom or man becomes the center and his opinion is what's taken as truth, what happens is, brothers and sisters, a very subtle thing because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when then men begin to believe the philosophies and the human reason and wisdom that's infiltrating the church, then there is no faith in the body of Christ. And what happens? Then the body of Christ is robbed of its power. Because power comes when we have faith in what God said He would do, He will do. So the subtlety of it is important. In Colossians 2 and 8, Paul says, beware, 
Lest any man spoil you through philosophy, that's human wisdom, and feign deceit, and after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He writes to Timothy and says in 1 Timothy 6 and 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding prevain and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So what's important here is when human reason and wisdom infiltrates the body of Christ, it robs the church of its faith, but then the church has to create something that replaces the power and the living reality of God. So where are we today? We have come to a day when the church is filled with all the facilities that you can imagine and all the acrobatting of men because it has to replace the living reality and power of God. But that's about the change. Because God's about to pour out his spirit. So we must trust in the power and the authority of God's word alone. Because the enemy is subtle to dilute the truth and to influence the church away from what is the absolute authority in the church. It's God's word. Isn't that right, Frank? You taught me that maybe 25 years ago. The absolute authority in any assembly is the Word of God. That is the truth war. The Word of God. What does God say on this matter? One of the great enemies of this is wisdom. Human wisdom, not God's wisdom. Now, let me give you just a couple of examples and see what you think. Was it wise in the human understanding Was it wise for Moses at the age of 80, who was a wanted man in Egypt, was it wise for Moses to start making his path back in from the wilderness, right into Egypt, right through the doors of Pharaoh's palace, right up to the throne of Pharaoh, and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. How many people think that's wise? I would say that if he got amongst a lot of Christians in the 21st century, they would say to him, Now, brother, you need to think about this. Was it wise for Joshua to march around Jericho's wall seven times and on the seventh day keep marching seven times round? I'm sure they were looking over the wall and they were saying, Here he comes again. The same old stuff. He's walking around the walls. But brothers and sisters, the walls came down. Was it wise for a shepherd boy with no war experience, just protecting his father's sheep, just doing what he was doing every day, but was it wise for him? Would would, would human wisdom direct him in a way and said, David, you go out onto the middle of that battlefield and you look at that giant, the champion of the Philistines, would you have advised him, David, it's a wise thing for you to take the giant on? But human wisdom would have said, David, just look after the sheep. Was it wise in that sense for a man to stand on the mountain and call fire down from heaven with 450 prophets of Baal? Most people would have said, listen, Elijah, wait till we get enough people and then we'll be able to do it. Was it wise for three young men when everyone else had the sound of the trumpets and the music and everything was going, was it wise for them 
to stand up in the midst and be counted for the Lord Jesus Christ. And stand up they did. Was it human wisdom that would have said, listen, you're better just burn. Keep your head down. Nobody's going to know. You're away from home. And then let's get this over with and get on with doing our own religious thing. Was it wise for four men? Can you imagine this? Everyone's got a house here. But would you be happy enough for four men to climb up onto your roof and rip the roof tiles off, break open all the, all, the, all the joists, and lower the bed down into your front living room, what would you say? Is there any chance? Was it wise for a woman with issue of blood who should not even by law be out in the midday on a crowd that was around Jesus and she pushed through a crowd and touched the very hem of his garment? Was it wise for her? Even by law, she shouldn't have been there. But yet within herself, there was a faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that said, if I could touch him, I shall be made whole. So today we have an awful lot of human wisdom. God says, I will restore. And it is our faith and trust in the authority of the word of God. If you turn to Psalm 138 and verse 2, Psalm 138 and verse 2 says these words. Again, I'm just introducing this by the authority of God's Word. Psalm 138 and verse 2 says these words. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Do you see the importance that God places upon his word? That his name, that his word is even magnified above his name. Now that's an amazing thing if you think about it for a moment because the Bible tells us, and how did this happen? The Bible says that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in the scriptures in Philippians 2, and being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above all names. And he says that he magnifies his word even above his name. Why is that? This is why it is, and this is how it's happened. That in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything and every intent and every will and every purpose of God himself has all been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So every promise and every prophecy, everything has been fulfilled in him. That's why it says that all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. So when we come to the Word of God and the authority of God's Word, and when God says, I will restore, the faith on our part to believe this is absolute authority and truth, to believe for God to do that which is impossible, the faith to believe God and even wait As the psalmist says in 135, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. So we have a hope because we're waiting 
for God to fulfill his word. This is faith. Because if we are drawn by what we see, if we look at it in the natural eye, we see that this is impossible with man. And so we walk by faith. God says, I will restore. Now, I want to ask you this morning the simple question. I know the answer to it. You don't have to answer it audibly, but I just want to ask you this question. How many of us in this room, how many of us in this room, you don't have to do anything but just in your own heart, how many of us in this room genuinely, sincerely, are standing over things that need a supernatural intervention of God's restoring power. I would say probably everybody. I would even say those that aren't saved can identify things in your life that what you need is an intervention of the supernatural Restoring power of God. You know, to restore something means to return something, someone to a former condition, place, or position. You know, I love the words in the scripture that begin with RE. We'll have a small RE class just for about three minutes. I got an F in RE and GCSE. I know you didn't think they went down that far, but they did when I was at school. A, B, C, D, E, F. But I love... The words that begin with R-E. It was true, by the way. I got an F. Restore. Repent. Redeem. Reconcile. Revive. And restitution. You will find that in the Scripture, the restorative part of God is seen in the lives of countless men and women. Men like Moses, men like Joseph, men like David. Remember him at Siklag, he lost everything, but through Christ he recovered all. Men like Job, men and others in the scripture, even Israel as a nation, God has promised that he will restore by his great and awesome and intervening power. And so the Bible tells us here that God is able, if you think of those things that you have just thought about the years the locusts have eaten. I want us to turn to a man this morning. This is what the Lord has just directed me in the night there. I want to take us to a man this morning. This man, he was a man that really experienced the real power of God in his life. I mean, when you read his life, I think his name is mentioned three or four hundred times. It was an awesome life that he lived. And he had great experiences with God. He'd seen the great blessing of the Lord upon his life. And we read of him as Jacob wrestling with the Lord and experiencing the, the blessing, the desire in his life for God's blessing. But when you get up in the latter stages of his life, something very profound would happen. If you turn uh, just to Genesis chapter 37, it's a very well-known story. It's not necessarily anything new, but I know it's where God's leading us this morning. In Genesis chapter 37, he had 12 sons. And the, the son 
when he was old, the son that he, he looked to and, and loved, and I suppose you would call him the blue eye of the family. I don't know whether you were the blue eye in your family, but the blue eye of the family was a young fellow called Joseph. And you remember the story well that Jacob it tells us there in verse 3 that Israel loved Joseph more than his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat. He made him a, a special coat, as it were, of, of many colors because of the great love that, that Jacob had for, for Joseph, that Israel had for Joseph. And he made him this special coat. And I, I don't know, I've heard many people preach on Joseph and preach on his conduct that when he got the coat, I don't, you know, when you get a new coat and, you know, a new outfit for Sunday, you know what it's like just after Christmas, everyone's wearing their, their new coat and there's something about when you just put a new coat on it maybe just gives you an extra couple of inches and you come in with your new coat and then everyone in this church, they bring you right down just about five inches, even though you've gone up to inches. Did you get a new coat? Where'd you get that? I've got one the same. And then you go, well, it's nothing special. It's just another coat, isn't it? But this coat was very unique because Jacob, he loved Joseph. And maybe Joseph didn't behave in the right manner. Maybe he didn't conduct himself in the right way. But there was a special bond between Jacob and Joseph. Now we know the story how his brethren and Joseph went out and they took him and they threw him in the pit and he was sold into slavery. And they brought the coat back. How are we going to tell my dad what we've done? But we've got rid of him, so we need to tell him something. But in Genesis 37, just on down the chapter, verse 31, it tells us there that they took Joseph's coat, they killed the kid of the goats, dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. Jacob knew the coat. And he said, An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt. He's rent in pieces. Now I want you to listen just for a moment before we read on. You know, just in the night I was thinking over this and thinking over this. I know it was the Lord thinking over these thoughts. But this coat dipped in blood, this coat that's dipped in blood, he said, an evil beast has devoured him. The enemy has done this. And this man standing there, this older man in his life, the son whom he'd loved had been, had been, as far as he could see, been taken by an evil beast. And all he stands there, if you can maybe imagine it for a moment, if you can just think and put yourself in the shoes of Jacob, just for a moment, he's standing there, his sons are before him, and they present to him a coat dipped in blood. That was it. Jacob recognizes the coat and knows that it's Joseph's coat. It's the coat that he particularly had got made for Joseph. And as he's looking at the coat and it's dipped in blood, he realizes that the evil beast has done this. The devourer has devoured that which I love. It's the enemy that's done this. And as Jacob looks at the coat, all he holds is that coat. That's all he has, is a coat dipped in blood. You know what the Lord showed me? That everything of what you have thought, as you have brought before you in prayer, before the Lord this morning, those areas and those things are those people that you think of 
that has been devoured by an evil beast. And all that you hold is a coat that's dipped in blood. That's all you have as a memory of what the what this young boy once was. But now the beast has devoured him. Verse 34 says that Jacob at that moment rent his clothes. He put sackcloth upon his loins. He mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But in the depths of his being, right into the very recesses of the depths of his heart, none of that could comfort him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Thank God for the comfort of God's people. Thank God for the comfort of the people of the Lord in prayer and and every way of encouragement. But there was a place in Jacob that that comfort could not reach. He refused to be comforted. He said within himself, I will go down to the grave and I'll mourn for my son. And thus his father wept for him. Uh, Brothers and sisters this morning, God knows all about, God knows all about those things that we stand over and hold in our hands as Coats dipped in blood. That's all they are. And they're evidence that the enemy has done this. The evidence of all of what the enemy had done was held just simply in that coat. And you see an old man standing who had great encounters with God and great blessings in his life. He's standing holding this coat, but everything around him could not comfort what was going on in his life. I wonder how many of you this morning... And I know there's some symbolically are left with the only thing that you have is a coat that's dipped, dipped in blood. And it's an evil beast that's done this. Well, I want to identify it very clearly this morning, brothers and sisters. Sometimes you might be a bit reluctant to do so. But I want to tell you something. It's an evil beast that's done this. It's a satanic attack. And is of the devil and of the pit itself. Make no mistake about it. And all you stand is with a coat dipped in blood. Do you know where the Lord brought me to? Brought me to another father. A father who sent his son and clothed him and dressed him in a special coat. It was just human flesh. A son who came, sent from God into this world. They wrapped him, yes, in swaddling clothes. We know he lived a sinless and spotless life. We know that in his ministry he healed the sick, he delivered the oppressed, he raised the dead. But they took this son and they beat him and stripped him and spat upon him and ripped the very hairs from his face, flogged his back and crushed a crown of thorns upon his head and kneeled his hands and his feet to a cross. And as the father looked on, that coat was dripping with blood. Aren't you glad, am I glad this morning, that on the third day he rose again? Thirteen years, Jacob mourned. How many of us, honestly, just, I'm actually coming to a close because I know the Lord wants to just minister 
by his Spirit. But how many this morning hold a coat dipped in blood? How many, it might be a relationship, a loved one, a circumstance in a family. It might be a life that's health has gone. It might, I don't know. But all that you have is what you stand with is a coat that's dipped in blood. By the grace of God, God has sustained you. By God's grace, he's kept you. By God's grace, the amazing grace of God, he'll bring us on and bring us through. But I want to say something this morning on the authority of God's word. God said, I will restore. Isn't that an amazing thing? How many people in here have been restored? If you're saved, praise the Lord, it's good to be restored. Here's a man after 13 years refused to be comforted. Refused just to say everything's fine. Refused to settle for the status quo. Refused to just fit into the realm of this is it until Jesus comes. Everything's going to be fine. We don't have to rock the boat. We just have to allow human reason to lead the way. But you see, he refused to be comforted. It tells us in Genesis chapter 45 and 25, they went up out of Egypt, came into the land of Canaan, unto Jacob their father. And we know the story of the whole life of Joseph and the brothers going to Egypt and coming back again. But now they're sent back by Joseph, verse 26. And they told him, saying, I mean, think of this for a moment. You've you got to get into the man's heart and into his mind for a moment. Think about it. Just, just don't let it rush over you. Just think about it for a moment. Here's 13 years. Not 13 minutes. 13 years. And the old man refused to be comforted. And there he's sitting and he says, I will go to my grave weeping for my son. And then, and then the door opens. And his sons come bursting through the door and they say, verse 26, Father, Joseph is yet alive and he's the governor over all the land of Egypt. What happened? Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. I pray that in the year to come, that many times our hearts are going to faint because we really nearly can't get to the stage to believe the great things that God is doing. Now our hearts faint. Now when the reports come into this sanctuary and this fellowship, now when we actually hear of the miracles that God does in homes and lives and families and loved ones, that our hearts will nearly say, we say it all the time, I don't believe you. Isn't that what we say? Or you're joking me and actually someone's telling you something really truthful. And that's the type of people we are. But we'll get to a point where our hearts within us will just sit back in the seat and say, Lord, we don't believe it, but we do believe it. Because his heart fainted within him. For he believed them not, and they told him all the words of Joseph, which he said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, what does it say? The spirit of Jacob, their father. What happened? There's an RE. It revived. And Israel said, is it enough? Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. You know, he's a great restorer. Even for those that are older in the fellowship, 
It says in Ruth 4 and 14 that the women said unto Naomi, Listen, blessed be the Lord which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of your life and a nourisher of thine old age. I want to encourage those that are older in the faith. He's the restorer of your life. And he'll nourish you even in the older years. The Bible tells us that he's the restorer of the past to dwell in. And I know this is Nikki's favorite verse in Psalm 23 and verse 3. She has it up just beside her bed. He restoreth my soul. He's a restorer of our souls. Brothers and sisters, Brother David's going to come. As we're closing this morning, uh, Johnny, as we're closing this morning, I wonder just how many in this room can identify with Jacob. All, All he had in his hand, and I believe he had it the whole 13 years, was a coat dipped in blood. You think about that for a moment. That's all he had. That's the only token. In his mind that whole time was an evil beast had done this. An evil beast had done this. I want to ask you this morning, this is what I believe the Lord wants to do. It's what he showed me. If you can identify with that, that you're, as it were, in a symbolic way, you're the one that's standing holding a coat dipped in blood. I tell you what the Lord wants you to do this morning. I know he wants you to do this. You have to have faith in his word. He wants you to give him that coat dipped in blood. He wants you to give him whatever that is, whether it be something, a person, or whether it be a circumstance, or whether it be a life, whatever it is, a calling, whatever it is. But in your eyes, an evil beast has done this and has been devoured. The Lord wants you today to give him that coat dipped in blood and have faith in his word that I, he, not me, I will restore. If you're able you know, there's a place in us, you know and I know, there's a place in us, I'm just being honest, there's a place in us that there's only one person can reach and his name's Jesus. How many people know that? All of us, there's a place in us that, that only the Lord himself, by the ministry of the Spirit, he can reach into. And you know who can do that? Jesus can do it. But you know what we do? And you've heard it many times, we... We keep that place shut out, don't we? we? Whether it's for whatever reason, but we keep it shut out. But I want to tell you something. You're not opening your heart to anyone here. You're opening your heart to the Lord this morning. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give him to you. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this relationship to you. I'm going to give this home situation. I'm going to give it to you this morning. I'm going to give you this coat dipped in blood. It's the enemy that's done this. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. Lord, would you restore?
intervene by your power. And I put my faith and trust in your word that what you have said, I'll believe it. If you're able to do that this morning, we're going to sing this week chorus. Just sit where you are, just between you and the Lord. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to sweep over this place this morning, to sweep over our souls this morning, just to allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you're, you don't have to do anything as far as get up or do or go anywhere. Just in his presence, you give him that this morning, and he is able. Put your faith in his word. I will restore. Allow the Spirit of God to move among us today. Give it to the Lord, and we'll trust him that he's able to do it. Sweep over my soul. Sing this song. Just remain seated and in prayer. Allow the Lord to move this morning.